Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So in today's episode of Learning Unboxed, we are super excited because we have the opportunity to go on-site at a school, one of the first times we've been on-site in many, many months because of everything that's been happening in the world. And so I am thrilled to be here with educator Pete Barnes um, from New Albany Intermediate School, Middle School, for those of you that are confused by some of that language. So Pete, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming out to New Albany. Absolutely. And so for some context for our listeners, so some of the backstory of Pete here is a 25-year veteran teacher. Congratulations. Thanks. That's quite the milestone. And 18 of those have been here in New Albany Schools. And New Albany Schools are a community um, within Central Ohio. And, you know, for our listeners, we come back to the state of Ohio over and over again, you know, as we journey around the world telling stories of amazing teachers doing incredible things. And it's always a privilege to be able to talk about those amazing educators just in our own backyard, and I thought absolutely um, appropriate because we're going to talk today about your work around pollinator gardens and outdoor education and environmental science and why that makes such a difference for kids. Great. So give us sort of the 50,000 foot view about the community in New Albany schools, just to sort of set the stage for folks, and then we're going to get into the weeds, quite literally, (laughs) with you um, about what's going on with your work in your classroom. Great. Okay. Well, yeah, New Albany is a suburban community, like you said, in, uh, northeast of Columbus. It's about 10,000 people. One interesting thing about New Albany is we have one learning campus. So we have just uh, one building for all four through six is what building I'm in. One building for middle school, one for high school, and then early learning center. So the nice thing about that is we can share resources. We actually have an 85-acre campus with woods and wetlands. Uh, just adjacent to our school, so it's convenient for us to get kids outside. I think we have about 5,000 students. And so, you know, students from grades K through 12 can go on the same pathways and a lot more opportunities for collaborating between teachers, between uh, schools. And we also have the McCoy Center for the Arts, so we can uh, do programming over there. Most of our theater programs and those sorts of things are there. So the planning of the community was really, you know, a lot of it was kind of grounded around education and making sure that the community and and schools were integrated and could share resources and all those things. So, you know, we have a lot of advantages just starting out that, you know, I feel as a teacher, I'm trying to just just use as much as I can. So it's a great place to teach. Well, one of the things that I've always really loved actually about the New Albany campus, and I appreciate the way you sort of couch that for folks, because this truly is a campus and it it feels very reminiscent, a small collegiate or, or small informal college setting. And I think that there's tremendous value in that. We don't see these types of school campuses all over the place because of existing land and structure and you know inside of urban centers you know and all these different sorts of things so the the location just provides some unique opportunities from a learning standpoint including because you're not right deep in the middle of an urban center you're not completely surrounded there's a lot of land here mm-hmm. and as an, a science teacher and, and somebody passionate about environmental sciences in particular 
I would assume that that's pretty much like the joy that you have this. Literally, quite literally, right outside of Pete's door are woods and opportunity and gardens. And so talk to us a little bit about sort of the, 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 the outdoor education projects on um, the pollinator garden in particular. I'm in, absolutely intrigued by that. That's sort of the experience that you have with students as a result of that. Okay, well, I do have to make a shout out to Bill Resch, who's a former science teacher, and he's really the guy who made this whole school campus possible as far as the, he wrote a big grant years ago to get all these woods preserved. They originally planned to be making into housing development. So to have that associated with the, with the schools, you know, it really is a great advantage. And it really is exciting to see how many classes. It's fun for me because I can see right out my window, you know, the kindergartners walking over there and the high schoolers and everybody. So, you know, it, it really is a K-12 focus for environmental education, I would say, in our schools. Uh, so I've just been trying to tap into that. We have what we call the E3 Learning Lab, which is a new outdoor education building just across the parking lot from us. And we have a uh, director, Sandy Reed, who is in charge of that building, so she can do programming for kids at K-12 again. And so all kinds of things going on related to the woods, related to the gardens, related to all sorts of projects where the kids are actually growing things and doing that kind of thing. We have a greenhouse here in our school, which we also do some things. So I guess uh, three years ago, Sandy and I came up with the idea of creating a native garden to go around the E3 building. It's just adjacent to our practice fields for our baseball and football. And so we got a great deal of help on that, but it's still kind of an ongoing project. But the idea was to take just a grassy area and turn it into about 8,000 square feet of native plants, attracting pollinators, and having all kinds of opportunities for students to be you know, monitoring what species are out there and doing different tasks like weeding and, and planting, of course, and watering and all those things. So it's really been a great opportunity to get the kids outside and get them excited. And it's, I didn't really plan it originally as like a multi-year project, mostly because of pandemic delays. It's kind of been ongoing, but it's been fun to see, you know, the oncoming groups of fifth graders get to learn from the previous group. And so, of course, we have video and pictures and things from the last year. So a lot of them have siblings right. or kids they know that were you know, already involved. So, yeah, it's, it's really been a great project for us. I love the fact that you and your colleagues work so diligently to find connections between the different assets and resources that were here and, and to build programming that connects those things. So you talked about the, you know, the E3 um, building and all that. And that's one of the ways that um, PATH had the opportunity to really sort of get involved with New Albany as part of the E3 building coming here and starting up a whole host of different teacher PDs and opportunity for teachers to really um, sort of dig in. And that particular project is all around energy and energy education. But I love the fact that you took this building that's all about energy and understanding energy usage and opportunities for students and then tie it back in with the natural environment and to, to, to make it possible for it to be part of a bigger, broader ecosystem. So I am really curious, as a fifth grade teacher, how do you take the, the asset of the pollinator garden or the E3 or any of the, the, the pieces that you sort of built out with your colleagues out there and make it part of your day-to-day -day teaching experience? Because one of the things lots of teachers struggle with 
is the fact that we're going to do this project, but this project is not connected to anything else. It sits in isolation. So I want to talk a little bit about sort of your journey around, you know, thinking about problem and project-based sort of opportunities and using that as a lens in sort of the everyday way you think about the work with your kiddos. I mean, just looking, you know, it's fun to be here in your classroom because when you look around your classroom, you can see how you're connecting everything all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. It's, you know, it's never easy to do that. I think it is kind of overwhelming for teachers. We all have, you know, lots of content we're trying to cover. Uh, You know, we're taking the Ohio state tests and we're preparing for those. So, you know, I don't want people to think that we are out in the garden every single day. I mean, it'd be fantastic if we were, if we could, you know, tie it to everything. But I think it really is about looking for connections between subjects, between units, like you're sort of implying, you know, so when we were first preparing, of course, we got a lot of math uh, involved in the preparation of the site. We had the students measuring the site, thinking about how much soil that we have, uh, you know, how many plants are we going to need. We had a budget to work through. We actually got a Facebook uh, community action grant this past year. And so we were able to uh, get money to build onto the garden, add some signage, to add bird feeders and other things. So the students were, you know, putting out budgets and looking over items and deciding how much they want to spend on this item or that item and make proposals. So all those are tying into content areas. You know, the E3 engineering, energy, and environment are the three E's. So we're always trying to fit those things in, but you know, it's always a matter of like, for instance, we study outer space and, and earth and motion of the sun through the seasons. So that's a fun way to get out and just be thinking about, okay, well, how is the sun different at this time of the year versus, uh, you know, in winter, you know, how is that affecting our plant growth? And we're even looking at shadows and, you know, where is the sun in the sky at particular times of the day? So, you know, even though ecosystems and all the things that are really obvious connections to the garden is only one part of our fifth grade science curriculum, we do find connections you know, throughout the year, I think that we try to make fit into that bigger project. And that, I think, is the core of being a great engaged teacher. You know, when, when I have these conversations, you know, all, all over the country, around the world, those, those are some of the common things that you see when you, you get the opportunity to have those conversations with these teachers that are passionate about these great things that they did, mm-hmm. right? It's because you, you'll find some of those common threads are that they're constantly able to bring their students back to that, even if they've moved on to other units or other activities. Or remember when we you know, X, Y, and Z. And that's really powerful for students to build that context. You know, for our listeners, I, I also wanted to share the fact that so this work in the pollinator garden and sort of the crafting of this, this was part of another effort for you personally, you know, as that working on becoming a National Geographic certified teacher. So we've actually talked to a, a couple of teachers over the years that are also certified. We've never talked about that process because of their, their project never really came and I love the fact that the pollinator garden was part of that piece of work for you. So share with our listeners a little bit about that experience in terms of a why a why did you want to run down that road and then b once you decided to run down that road, talk to us a little bit about the process to sort of get you there. Okay, yeah, the uh, National Geographic Education Program, the teacher certification in, in particular. I think it's a really well-designed program. I first heard of it from Sandy Reed, the same uh, person who's directing our E3 building, and she's been really uh, instrumental in getting other teachers, just like she was with the Past Foundation. She worked closely with you guys on, on that whole project, but getting people involved and getting them the resources they need to get started with the process 
the National Geographic teacher certification took me about six months, I guess, to complete. And a great deal of it is done online. They have some these really nicely designed online courses that you work through modules that include videos and reflections and ways to get you thinking. They have a whole, it's called the inquiry process. And it's trying to connect not just you know your particular project and how does that fit to your standards, that's one piece of it, but also you know how does the geography of your area affect your project? How does the economics affect your project? You know, there's a number of these different parameters that you're trying to fit in. And for me, I, I guess I never really had thought of a project in those terms before. So it really helped me to kind of think bigger and to kind of think about, you know, what are all of the pieces that I want to fit into this. And then, of course, as part of the process, you do get quite a bit of mentorship support. They have people who have already gone through the process who serve as mentors and give you feedback. And you have a group of cohort uh, members who are doing the doing projects along with you. So you're sharing videos and ideas all the time. And I think for teachers who you know feel like it just feels overwhelming to take on a project or do something like that, to have a support system like that really does make a difference. So I would really recommend it. It's, you know, it's, it's time consuming, but at the same time, I felt like I was enjoying it and learning from it the whole time that I was doing it. So. Yeah. Every teacher that um, I've talked to that has made the effort, right. You know, invested the time and energy because it's right. an investment to be able to do it has found it to be, you know, a very rewarding experience. Yeah. That's absolutely fabulous. So then how do you then take that experience of setting up a project for that purpose and then translating it into an everyday or a standard, I guess, if you will, here at the school? How do you, how do you translate from an individual piece of teacher effort and professional development into we're going to use and utilize this resource on an ongoing, although involving, I suspect, basis? But how, what, what does that look like? Because that's not always the culture of traditional school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, it really does have to start with supportive administration. And we're really fortunate that we do have administrators, you know, like all schools, they are concerned about test scores and making sure that, that parents are feeling like kids are, you know, at grade level and, and getting what they need. But inside those parameters, they are really supportive of teachers trying new things and innovating and collaborating, working together. So that goes a great deal into it. I think you know, to have someone like Sandy, who is really kind of coordinating all the efforts and he's, she's just sort of a person that you can bounce ideas off of and he can work with you. She's not assigned to a classroom, so she's able to move between buildings and really build up that support. Another thing I think is at our school, a lot of us have been here for a while and we've taught each other's kids and we, you know, it's a fairly small community. I live here in New Albany and, and that just makes it easier because you know who you can go and talk to down the hall and, and get support from. And, you know, you're never going to have every single teacher who is gung-ho about trying project-based learning or any type of really elaborate project. But I think as long as you're out there, you're sharing ideas and you're showing people, you know, here's what I did. I thought this was really engaging. Sometimes, for instance, with this planting project, you know, we had 1,200 plants and I knew there's no way my fifth graders are going to get all those in the ground. We only had a few days to do it. So I reached out to the second grade teacher I knew was really all about that stuff and some sixth grade teachers. And so, you know, we had three or four different grade levels out there all working on it together. And to me, it's just it'd be fun to have something like that where you feel like you can involve as many different kids and different teachers as you can. So.
And that's always the beauty of that type of work. It's it's fully immersive and it's if done well, it's mm-hmm. transdisciplinary. So there's there's application to everybody who comes to participate. Sure, yeah. So as you think about then um, sort of scale, not so much of the, the garden itself, but the learning that happens with your kids out there, and you bring them back into your classroom, um, and you start the next sets of units. I know you're doing a project that's tied to sort of the mission to Mars sort of thing. You, you've got a project that's involving some drones that you're getting excited about, mm-hmm. you know, utilizing in the spring. How do you how do you connect things that at first blush seem like they might not necessarily be connected? What does that look like? What's that conversation with your kids? Yeah, that's a great one. I mean, I think the key is I try to get kids uh, really thinking about, I I teach science, but obviously we collaborate a lot between teachers, but just what is going on in in their own neighborhoods and their own homes related to science. And I'm always surprised how many things they're bringing to me that they're thinking about that connects different things we're doing here at school. Um, you know, so for instance, when we're talking about Mars, obviously a lot of that is related to food growth and to, I listened to your podcast about the, uh, the Mars project and, yeah. you know, gardening on Mars. And so there are a lot of connections actually between our garden and the experiences we've had or working in the greenhouse in this building. And what would that really look like? I mean, imagine taking that on a spaceship and then setting it up on another planet and you know so that's that's one just connection I, that came to mind immediately but i think you just have to be kind of open to always looking for what do we do before what are we doing now and just trying to revisit and rethink you know the nice thing about the garden is we do a lot in the fall preparation looking at species identifying species we do more in the greenhouse probably in the winter time although we do a little bit of monitoring and in the spring it's kind of like a whole new set of tasks and things and so when we're studying force of motion as a spring uh, unit and we're out there you know doing our um, mousetrap cars and that kind of thing sometimes we'll go check on the garden and see how things are going or somebody will say you know we haven't been out to see plants in a little bit so we'll just kind of check on it so it's just that you know it just takes a few minutes out of your class or out of your unit even if it doesn't directly connect i think it really is important to kind of keep those just those connections and those ideas going otherwise you're right they it's easy to just move on and just forget about it and not really, you know, have, have those connections throughout the school year. And the reality is it, it, it very easily connects all the time. And, and most great teachers, right, are really good. It's a natural sort of thing that you do. Or remember when, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, when we talked about, you know, we discovered, you know, and so what do you think about, you know, what you learned there and how does that translate to this? And that's, that's what you just sort of see is the natural sort of um, iteration of great right. teachers. You don't even think about it. You just watch them doing that. It's, it's a joy, quite frankly, to, to see. So I am curious. I want to circle back around about your project that's going to happen in the spring with, with drones. Because I gathered that you, you got a grant to, to get these drones, just like you got a grant to get the birdhouses and all that other sort of stuff. So so now you have this new piece of technology. And, you know, lots, lots of folks get jazzed and excited about the new tools, the new toys that they get to bring into their Sort of teaching experience, but equally, there are an awful lot of folks that find technology daunting, especially mm-hmm. in obviously, you know, in the wake of everything that's gone on, you know, globally through the pandemic, and so much 
suddenly had to be transitioned in lots of places to online learning. You know, lots of teachers are really, really hesitant to grab and, 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 and one more new thing. So how do you think about that and getting ready to deploy drones into some of your programming in the spring? I'm just curious. Yeah, that's a good I've question. I've had so many conversations with teachers, oh, no, you know, I don't want to learn another I want to try tool. a new thing. Right, I know. right. Yeah, that's not the case for you. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it gives me a little pit in my stomach when I start thinking about doing something new like that because I know it's going to have all kinds of flubs and there's going to be all things sorts of things go wrong. But you know, I also think that what I can picture in my head what the kids are going to be doing with it and how excited they're going to be about it, you know, and how engaged. I think it, it, to me, it's it's always been worth it to try something new like that, even if you don't quite know how it's going to end up. We had no idea how this garden project was going to turn out or what we were really doing when we And with the drones, uh, actually, Sandy, uh, Reed and I, we went to a uh, the teacher air camp, which is in Dayton this yeah. past summer. Yeah. And they had a whole uh, session on drones. And that's kind of gave me the idea to, to write this grant. But they had uh, us programming the drones to fly through these obstacle courses, you know, made out of hula hoops and that type of thing. And as soon as we were doing it, we said, we got to do this with the students, you know, because we study force of motion, of course, the, the four forces of flight, mm-hmm. and, you know, how does affecting a, a, for, a moving object, you know, putting a force on one side of it, how does it affect its motion in the other direction and all those things that just fit so nicely. The other piece of it that really sold me on it, you know, we had a couple of sessions with people who are flying drones professionally for all sorts of mm-hmm. uh, things that I never even considered, all these applications yeah. and just all the job opportunities and things that kids can be doing with them. And, you know, for me, even fifth graders, you would be surprised how, how many times I will find a student who can help everybody, including me, you know, so I just always, I know that somebody will have that either will already have the knowledge or will go home and look up whatever we're doing wrong or figure it out and help the other kids. So I don't feel like I ever need to have all the knowledge or that everything's going to go perfectly. I know that, you know, I can rely on students to help each other and just be that excitement level is hopefully going to get us through, you know, whenever the battery runs dry or the uh, whatever we do crash into the wall or I can imagine a number of things. But. I would imagine you're going to see see all of those. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's nothing better than, you know, teacher learning alongside students. Mm-hmm. Kids get that. You know, they, they understand that, you know, when you make the decision not to be the end-all, be-all, the knowledge, that, that that's a powerful thing to them. You can mm-hmm. put that faith um, an opportunity in their hands. And so that's spectacular. So past launched this this fall, a drone certification program. Same thing that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so maybe we'll get, we'll commission you so I always like to sort of wrap the conversation with a couple of different sort of recognitions. So the first one is that, you know, great teachers are constantly thinking about new things to do. So I'm always curious, you know, sort of what, what do you have on your horizon or what are you thinking about? Even if it hasn't been codified or solidified or even, you know, the, the blessing of the administration, but you know, what are great teachers thinking about? You know, at the end of the day, what's, what's, what's happening inside that brain of yours as it relates to thinking about, you know, next things that I would really love to be able to try with my kiddos? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that I am always thinking about, you know, with fifth graders, if I'm honest to myself, I think I'm still driving a lot of the ideas about where are we going and what are we going to do 
you know, I'm trying to leave things open-ended so there are a lot of different solutions and there are a lot of different tasks that kids can be doing. But I do think that my long-term goal is to have kids driving more of the early, you know, actual project creation and the actual idea making and that kind of thing. So, you know, I feel like I've made progress in that area, but I think that it's something I would really like to do more with. We do a science fair and, and kids come up with their own projects for that. And, and kids who get really engaged by that, they, they really do come a long way as far as really creating from the beginning to the end, a whole final product. I guess the other thing is just things that kids feel like they're actually making, not just like they're learning about what we need to do to help the earth, you know, because fifth graders, a lot of kids are just so interested in, in climate change and sustainability and all of those issues. And what are things that we can do that kids feel like, yeah, you know, this really is, is making a difference. I mean, you know, a pollinator garden is not going to stop climate change, but you know, if we have pollinator gardens on school campuses, you know, across Ohio, I mean, that makes a big difference. I would love to have a school composting program. And so that's something I've been working on where kids would actually be monitoring, you know, in the cafeteria, for instance, where, what is compostable or what is not maybe have a team that would be, you know, monitoring as they're cleaning up at the end of lunch each day. There's a lot of applications there where you could be calculating how many pounds of food waste that we save, you know, how does that calculate into emissions, savings, and all those sorts of things. So, you know, that to me is a project where I, I know kids would be excited about it, and I feel like they would feel like they were really doing something versus just, you know, talking about doing something Absolutely, absolutely. So then my, my last question, and I always close with this one, is, you know, recognition that, you know, there's, there's teachers who listen to this program who come from all over the world, who aren't sitting in New Albany with this amazing campus and all of the, the grounds, if you will, that you have for these different um, outdoor opportunities, but want to get more engaged and do some more meaningful environmental science pieces that are not just in the lab, but also bring the outdoors either back in with them or they go out and do those pieces, but it's just not been the way that they've they've been teaching for a whole host of reasons, but they want to get started doing that. But what advice would you have for that teacher that says, oh, you know, I just listened to Pete and it was awesome. I want to be Pete. <laughs> I want to do what Pete, Pete does. How do you get started? Okay, well, you know, I do think, I mean, you're exactly right. Not every school you can just walk out and walk in the woods. And as we know, taking field trips and getting kids on overnights and all that. It's, it's just not as easy. Not that it was ever easy and that schools don't have all the budgeting. I do think that gardening is a, a really accessible project and it can be really small scale. It can be really big. And most school campuses have somewhere where you can start with some sort of a garden, whether it's outdoors uh, or you know tower gardens where you can grow inside. I think the key there is you really have to find some good help to get you started. We were really lucky we had um, a person from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Brent Sodergren, his name is. He's helped with school projects all over Ohio. And he provided expert advice. He helped us with the preparation of our spot and all along, you know, just kind of holding our hands through it. So, you know, if you can find someone who's done a project before or someone in your community who has garden experience or, you know, a local garden center who maybe could send someone over because it's getting kids outside. If you're doing an outdoor garden, it's kind of an ongoing thing where they're really seeing through the seasons what's happening and, you know, whether you're growing things like for your local food pantry or something like that, or whether you're trying to do things that are going to attract pollinators. I think there's just a lot of really cool possibilities. So to me, that's, that's an easy one to start with, you know, besides trying to 
plan like a week-long camping trip or something that just seems so overwhelming to people, I think it is something that it's it's attainable for a lot of schools. It's doable. It's doable, yeah. Yeah, absolutely doable. Pete, I want to thank you so much for letting us come to visit you um, in your classroom. We're absolutely grateful for the chance to take a field trip of our own. So thank you for that. And thank you for the work that you do. And we look forward to having a chance to catch up with you again and find out what's happened. That would be great. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.